Greetings, nerdos, and welcome to episode eight of 78 episodes of 30 Good Ones. I am your red-shirted quality level host. Level quality host? I can't remember now. I'm all mixed up. This is what you get with an amateur podcaster. My name is Oliver Rockside. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been uh, a delightful ride, the first seven episodes. I would like to take this opportunity to thank everybody who downloaded episode six. I would also like to take a special opportunity to thank both uh, Jason and Stephanie. Both of them were ill while recording. Poor Stephanie was almost on her deathbed. And uh, they came through like champs. And uh, I just want to make a special thank you uh to jason and stephanie because they really stepped up to the plate helping the podcast and certainly helping you with their enjoyable banter and uh thanks again but kids today uh he is also a returning champion uh he is a professor uh from halifax nova scotia and i believe it is saint mary's and what's the other university you teach at steve mount saint vincent Mount St. Vincent. Dr. Steve Cluche has returned. Hello, Steve. Hello. How you doing? I'm very well. Uh, thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Steve is a returning champion. And just to give you a little bit of inside baseball, as it were, for the show, is usually when I ask the guests to join me, I will give them three groups of shows that I have picked to talk about. So they pick one of the groupings, and that's the one that makes the show. Uh, in this particular case, I did give Steve three choices, but I kind of knew he was going to choose this one because I had specially designated this one for Steve. It is the first of our open-faced sandwich specials. There'll be 12 of them along the way. And... Uh, <clears throat> We are only going to talk about two episodes today because it is an open face sandwich. Uh, and we have two episodes. I'm pretty sure we're going to disagree on the first one. I am very interested to know whether we agree on the second. Um, now, Steve, the last time you were here, we talked about Shakespeare, did we not? We did, yeah. We talked about Shakespeare. We talked about the Cold War. We did about the Omega Glory. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well... Spoiler alert, people, we may be talking about the Cold War today. <laughs> <laughs> and we begin with, uh, this is garbage, people. We begin with one of the worst episodes, bottom 10, no doubt in my mind. But Steve has a, may have a different view on it. Because, fun fact, people, Dr. Cloutier teaches this episode in class. And we're going to talk a lot about that as we go along, because I'm very interested on the tack that Dr. Cloutier takes uh, on this particular episode. But just as an overview, I hate this episode, Steve. <laughs> uh, your verdict on it as a general rule. Um, I, I don't hate it. I think what, in terms of just like Star Trek, I think this is... This is an episode that shows what could be good with Star Trek, but also mm -hmm. what is bad with Star Trek. Okay, interesting. Because, um, be, because Gene Roddenberry extensive, extensively rewrote the script. Uh, interesting. That is very interesting to hear. Um, because, well, I don't think the script's the issue here. <laughs> um <laughs> But we'll get to it. The synopsis yes. of The Private Little War, we should tell you that both of the ones that we're doing today are second season episodes. Yes. This episode is another one of the second season episodes that makes you think it's a third season one because it's just so bad. Uh, we begin on a planet uh, that Kirk has visited before. He has uh, surveyed it. He's also gotten to know the locals, so to speak. And uh, he is being reunited back down on this planet to see how they're doing 13 years later. Apparently, this, this, uh, this uh, planet was very peaceful, uh, with everybody co coexisting well together. Um, some very bizarre wildlife, however. Uh, yes, the fauna in this particular planet, we'll get to it, people, don't worry, uh, is a little bizarre. 
anyway, they beam down, and all of a sudden they get start getting shot at uh, by primitive we- weapons, and Spock gets shot. That's our cold open, uh, is Spock uh, being shot. Uh, when we return from the opening credits, uh, Kirk is quizzical about how uh, these people developed uh, primitive uh, weaponry, uh, guns. And uh, they then discover that there's a Klingon vessel circling the planet, and it's an aha moment that one side, the villagers, are being supplied and taught how to forge weapons uh, by the Klingons. That's an important point, which I think Steve is going to address when we get to his classroom study of this particular um, uh, episode. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, McCoy and uh, Kirk return to the planet, and then Kirk gets attacked by a Mugatu. Yes, it is famed in song and story of Star Trek. This is the Mugatu episode. And it's ludicrous. We should tell you also tell you that Vasquez Rocks is back. Uh, that um, uh, mountainous formation just north of Los Angeles, which we will see many times. We've already seen it in Friday's Child. Anyway, uh, Kirk gets bitten by a Mugatu with McCoy. Okay, McCoy can't throw. <laughs> McCoy yeah. tries to <laughs> fend the Mugatu off with a rock and... Uh, Let's just say he will not be pitching in the major leagues anytime soon. Um, So uh, they find uh, Kirk's long long lost buddy and after the Mugatu bite, and uh, he is taken to uh, this encampment with his buddy and his buddy's wife, who has a spray tan before spray tan ever existed. (laughs) It's unbelievable. Is kind of the local witch doc dress. Can I put it that way, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, she, uh, she of course, puts a root, um, also has an orgasm, it looks like, at the same time, and fixes Kirk. This is a common thing in this particular episode. Well, <clears throat> look, I can make jokes about the wigs. I can make jokes about the leather pants. I can make jo- jokes about she has a perfect Manny Petty. So, <laughs> again, interesting for this planet. I could make all those jokes. I could even make script jokes. But when it all comes down to it, the acting in this is horrific is. by everybody. And that is what makes it terrible. Let me put it to you this way the best actors in this particular episode are Majel Barrett. And the Mugatu. Yeah. <laughs> that is the best acting. We should mention, we mentioned Majel Barrett because there's a B story going on about, about um, Spock trying to recover from this gunshot. And we meet uh, Dr. Mubenga. And I believe this is his first appearance, Steve. Or was he in Amok Time? Um, I don't think he was in Am- Amok Time. I don't think so. Okay. Can't remember him being in that anyway. Anyway, anyone who's seen the new episode of uh, Strange New Worlds knows that Dr. Mobenga is back uh, in in Strange New Worlds. But in this particular, in the classic series, this, I believe, is his first appearance. <clears throat> He's great, but Majel Barrett really is very good in this because she's very pithy. She's, she's vulnerable while being... Her acting in this is really great. But that's as far as it goes. <laughs> Oh, she has, she has, she has to act that thing where nobody tells her anything. Yes, and and she's expected to do things, and it's like, yes. why am I doing this? It's like you know, it's it's that it's that it's that kind of okay. I have to do what they're telling me, but I'm confused because it seems weird. Yes, I know, <laughs> but she does it with a plum. She does. Um. Anyway, back down to the planet. Uh, Kirk recovers. Uh. The the witch doctress sees McCoy heating up some stones with his phasers and she's very bloodthirsty because she wants to get back at the villagers. Yeah. Um, Spock's, but I mean, um, Kirk's buddy wants no part of this. He is pacifist with a capital P and, uh, but the wife is, the wife's a little bit strange. Um, I call her no, I call her no, no, Macbeth. 
Yeah, oh, very Nona Macbeth. Because she, she reminds me of Lady Macbeth. Yes. We're back to Shakespeare. Well done. We're back to Shakespeare. Thank you. That's a, that, we're, going in, we're going in a circle, people. That's very good. Um, so, uh, so she's all bloodthirsty. And uh, so uh, Kirk is, he's, he's, it's almost like a mission uh, for them to even things up, to even the score, even if it violates the prime directive, which of course it would. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot of arguing back and forth about this particular, uh, thing. I usually, DeForest Kelly usually is a delight in all of these episodes. This time he's just a drama queen. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, again, the acting terrible. Um, I, 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 you notice I haven't even mentioned Shatner's acting yet because it's just horrendous (laughs) between him and Nona. It's just. It's bizarre. Anyway, um, so uh, apparently because Nona, the witch doctress, uh, cured uh, Kirk, she is now, or Kirk is now beholden to her. Uh, So uh, we have now a love triangle that's, well, we do get, it's more than a suggestion, but it it kind of weaves its way through the episode. Again, stupid um and uh so finally they go into the village they find that the klingons are supplying them they haven't taught them how to forge anything they're just supplying them the parts so to speak yeah and uh so finally the villagers capture and murder nona uh and this is the impetus that makes kirk's buddy want to become bloodthirsty so in a way kirk has set the spark to this um war yes and again i i i think i'm going to i think i'm going to understand the overarching theme of it steve Mm -hmm. but in the actual day-to-day numbers of star trek this is very not star trek in that particular way so it surprises me to hear that that Roddenberry rewrote most of this. Yeah, no, well, well, the thing is, um, if if you look at the the credits, the story is by uh, Judd Krusik, okay, which is not a real person. That's 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 a pseudonym for Don Ingalls. Yeah, um, and Don Ingalls was actually a, quite a close friend of Roddenberry's, from what I understand. Uh, they served together in the LAPD, mm-hmm. um, but Roddenberry changed the. So much that Ingalls did not want his name associated with it. I can see why. <laughs> because for, I, I haven't read the original script. Um, I'm not sure if it's available or not. Um, but from what I understand, the the whole sort of Cold War um, Vietnam stuff, that's Ingalls. The whole uh-huh. orgasmic woman bringing in... Uh, Kirk and the, the love triangle, that's Roddenberry. Oh, Kel surprise. Yeah, no, no, we're, <laughs> no surprise there. Um, and, no. and so, and so, and so Don Ingalls had his name taken off the script because uh, Roddenberry changed it so much that he didn't want his name associated with it. Well, I can certainly see why, um, uh, that's funny because that's the reverse of what I would think. But then when I, when I do ponder it just for a second, yeah. uh, you know, woman, woman in leather pants, you know, yeah. being org- orgasmic, yeah. it's like, yeah, that's Roddenberry. Yeah. Um, now in the frame of your teaching, uh, this Steve, now you mm-hmm. look at this from a Vietnam war point of view, correct? Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I choose to do something like this, I never say I want to teach this episode. It's I want to get this idea across. So, so when I taught it, I, it was in the content, it was in a science fiction course, and I had this sort of module, the section called science. Science fiction uh, is enlisted into into the Cold War, and so it was like a little section on the Cold War and how science fiction reflected Cold War themes. Mm-hmm. 
And so one of the things that I always try and do is I always try and look for sort of popular culture because, you know, one of the things that I do is not just literary stuff, but, but cultural studies stuff. And what we often don't think of is that a lot of ideas that we get, a lot of political ideas, social ideas come from popular culture come mm-hmm. from TV shows like, for example, Law & Order, right? I know you do a right. Law & Order podcast and you're a big fan of that show. That instills in us views of Law and & Order, right? right. And, 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 and how we respond to it. Columbo, Columbo sort of helps us, helps the audience deal with social change. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when I do that, I, what I would do is I go, here's the theme that I want to get. Now, I want to do a Star Trek episode because... It's Star Trek. It's a big thing. It continues to be a big thing. So I just like run through the list of episodes and say, which ones are, which, which episode best reflects this theme. And for me, this episode, um, I mean, I guess the Omega Glory can, but I can't, I can't bring myself to teach that one. No, (laughs) Um, It's just so bad. Um, But this one, because it's a little bit more oblique, right? Mm -hmm. It's like not so obvious, like, right. like the reference to Vietnam is very subtle and yes. you could miss it if you're not looking for it. Asian right? brush wars. Exactly. Which, yes. which, you know, I mean, is Vietnam, it could, it could also include Korea. Yeah. Right? You know, it's all, all that kind of, that kind of communist push, you know, maybe even, even the, the, the Chinese civil war and all that kind of stuff. So what I do is I go, so here's this episode and let's, talk about it and how it reflects the cultural attitudes of the time and what are they trying to say about that are is it like pro-vietnam is it anti-vietnam you know is it somewhere in between which is i think what it's trying to go for it's somewhere in between like these things are complex and difficult right right because 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 that's that's always the thing when mccoy says to kirk you can't do this you'll 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 just lead to this kind of endless war between these two people and kirk says well what's your solution mccoy says i don't have a solution right and 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 that i i think that's a that's a really good response to the cold war and right. vietnam what is your solution to the vietnam war i i i don't know right you know and so and so kirk like the american government said well the only option then is to send is to teach them to fight to send in troops and, and, and right. do those kinds of things right so so that when i when i teach it that that's how i teach it right i never say i want to teach this episode what i say is i have a theme which episode applies to that theme uh, i see right you know and and when whenever i talk about good episodes of star trek i i, I have two levels of good two different definitions of good Right. The definition that you have, is it well-written, well-acted, that kind of stuff? Um, and this one is not good in that categorization. But I also have one that, is this good for teaching? Mm-hmm. Right. Is, is, is this something that I can teach that, that I can bring to a class and sort of there's enough sort of material in the episode, as bad as it may be, to teach it and get an idea across? And in that case this episode is really good. Right. You know, cause I, cause there's a lot that you can do and you can talk about it again, you know, um, with, with Nona Macbeth there, you can talk, you, you can talk about um, women and women's roles. And when I taught this, um, a lot of students hadn't seen Star Trek. Right. But they knew Star Trek. Right. Right. And I actually had one student say, gee, for, for a show that is supposed to be very progressive, this is a very misogynistic show. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> let, let me introduce you to the creator. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, I'm, I, I'd like to do a little fact check just for some people who um, you just kind of want to get a, a, a kind of a snapshot of the times in relation to this particular episode. This was produced in 1967. Now, you tell me where I'm right and you tell me where I'm wrong here, Steve. Yep. The buildup had begun in Vietnam, but no open hostilities had started by 67, had it? Yes. The first uh, sort of there, – there's a long history with Vietnam. The French were there. Yeah. The, Amer- the Americans begin sending over the, – the first American death was actually in 1955. But didn't it, didn't it all start when the French – when the pro the French um, 
kind of choice for president was was assassinated in 62 is that yeah, what it started? Well, yeah, 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 and and there, 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 you know, essentially there was an attempt by the Vietnamese people anyway to to sort of create independence at the end right. of World War Two, mm-hmm. um, and the French, and and you're right, there, the, the French had been fighting, had been it been a French colony, that's why yes. you know a lot of Vietnamese people speak French, um, and they, it was a kind of an anti-colonial. Um, independence movement and the French because they had troops there sent in troops and for reasons for internal reasons um, the fact that the French had been you know occupied during the war they really didn't have the resources to fight a war like a guerrilla war yeah Um, and so they pulled out and the Americans got afraid because Ho Chi Minh, right? Because yes, because that would that would that would let the the communists in, and so they began. They initially started to um, put in um, military advisors, and they wanted they wanted to build up the South Vietnamese Army first, right? And then they realized that the South Vietnam South Vietnamese Army, for a lot of reasons, probably wasn't going to be able to fend off. The North Vietnamese, especially since the North Vietnamese had help from China and eventually um, Stalin, although Stalin was a, was very wary of that, but the, the Chinese in particular. Um, and so in 1965, they sent in the first combat troops. Okay, so we're two years in. Yeah. But that was, was, was that, that wasn't the draft yet. The draft came in 69. No. Yeah, no, no. The draft, the draft was hadn't been in yet, but by '67, the draft had, had pretty much started. Okay, um, but but '67 is the big year because that's the Tet Offensive, right? Right. That's the real major point where the Americans start losing. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's kind. It's kind. It wasn't. Obviously, they didn't see it at the time, but looking back on it, 67 is a very important, important year, 67 and 68, those two years, because that's when the tide starts to turn against the right. Americans. Right. Um, right. And in, then 1966, in 1968, well, if it was a Ted Offensive, it would have been 67 where we get that iconic picture of the person being executed. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. The uh, But in relation to the episode, um, it wasn't a question. The American decision really wasn't, or was it um, that the Chinese were starting to supply Ho Chi Minh, and so the Americans thought they wanted to make things equal? Yeah, that's that's that's. Is that was that the idea to begin with? Yeah, that was that was that was the idea to begin with because because Truman um, at the end of the Second World War had devised devised this idea of containment. Yeah, and that because he he came to the conclusion that the Americans probably couldn't defeat uh, the communists. Uh, because nuclear war we- weapons, right? You know, it, right. it would, would aspire. So he devised this idea of containment, and so it was part of the containment. So they weren't trying necessarily to defeat North Vietnam; they were just trying to prevent them from invading South Vietnam. Right. So that idea of containment, like you can have the North, in, same, same with Korea, you can have the North, mm-hmm. but leave the leave the South alone. And so, right. the, and and it was that that kind of idea. And it, originally, that's that's what it was. Was that, was this a, this idea to send in material and to give training to the soldiers, South Vietnamese soldiers. Right. It only became when it became obvious to the Americans that the South Vietnamese uh, army probably couldn't fend off. Uh, the North Vietnamese for a lot of reasons, um, in part because China w- was supplying them, but in part because, you know, North Vietnamese seemed to want to win more <laughs> than the right. South Vietnamese wanted to win. Right. That's when they started sending in combat troops. Oh, and that's okay. and when we think of the Vietnam War and the American involvement in the Vietnam War, that's what we, that's what we think of. Yes. You know, when, when they start sending start sending in in combat troops. Well, that's when, because I've heard it described this way, is that Vietnam, Vietnam was the West, or really America, going. Yeah. This is this is as far as it goes. Yeah, this is, we're making our stand here. Exactly, exactly. This, and yeah, yeah, um, sort of, sort of the Picard. Yeah. Draw a line in the sand. No yes. farther. <laughs> no farther. Yes. Um, <clears throat> well done. Uh, so that's kind of the impetus for the episode, I think, it, for, in, from your view, isn't it? Is kind of yeah. a. Uh, a mini Vietnam peril. Yeah, yeah and and I, and I think the implication when they, when they have that discussion between McCoy and Kirk, 
that's what that's what McCoy is suggesting, right? That that it, it essentially look at what's happening in Vietnam in 1967. This is what you're condemning these people to, right? Right. I mean, so so when they have that discussion, and apparently in the script, the original script, it, there was a, there were a lot more references to Vietnam to make it clear that that's what they were talking about. Right. Um, but you know that that's kind of what the what the script wants you to to do to, to the audience to do is sort of to take that next leap. Right. It would have been funny to see this episode a sequel to it in 1973. Yeah. Because yeah. then we figured out how it all turned out when you do something like this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's the, and that's the problem with the script is they don't know where the Vietnam war is going to end. Yes. Right? To them, it's never going to end. Right. Like that's why he talks about an endless war because at, in 67, it didn't look like the, the Vietnam war was ever going to end. Well, right? it, it's, it, as we know now, I mean, we're, we're 70 years on in the North in the Korean war still hasn't ended. Yeah, exactly. Technically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, technically, technically it hasn't. Yeah. So, well, that is a, a, a private little war. I I hate it. It's it's just awful, people. It's a, a massive skip. But if you're a history buff, as Steve has pointed out, yep. uh, you may uh, enjoy it once again from Steve's perspective. And and, so. and there's just one more thing. There's that great scene just before they they go down the second time when when you have when you have uh, Kirk on the bridge and you have Uhura and Scotty. And Chekhov all saying, well, you know, this could be part of their normal development. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and Hora says not all cultures advance at the same rate because he asks, how long did it take between bows and arrows on Earth and the flintlock? Right. And, well, it's 12 centuries. And as Hora points out, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll take 12 here. Right. 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 So I, I, that's 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 the one scene that I really find, and I presume that that's Don Eng- Ingalls, right? That that and they're all sort of just like talking about it and saying, "Well, should we do this? Maybe maybe it's a natural development." Mm-hmm. And it's only when they realize that the Klingons are are playing the role of the Chinese that Kirk then says, "Okay, we have to do it this way." Well, you know, it's funny you bring that scene up because I wrote that down in my notes because Kirk admonishes them for for debating. And I'm like, they're not debating. They're just giving you suggestions. You know, just calm the F F down there, Kirk. But he also does apologize. Yes, he does. At the end, he he apologizes and says that he's concerned for Spock and and his friend. So, you know. Uh, Spoiler alert, Spock recovers. Yes. um, In the B story. Uh, If you are going to watch it and you're not a history buff, just... Fast forward until you'll see Spock and Chapel. It, that that's yeah. really the goal, and if there is any in this episode, especially the the pseudo S and M bit. <laughs> uh, well, from the bottom ten, we go to the top ten, and this is the one that I don't know whether Steve will agree with me on. I love this episode, top ten all the way. It is also a second uh, uh, season episode, and. Uh, Steve is going to get his history geek on again for this one. True. It is called Patterns of Force. Love this episode. It is everything that Star Trek is in little bits. Like the acting is is great, even from the secondary people, you know, the secondary characters. Yeah. Uh, There is a strong, confident woman in this who is not worrying about her outfit falling off if she turns left. (laughs) Uh, She's completely clothed. She's completely equal with the men. It's perfect. The banter between Kirk and Spock is fantastic. The end banter is great between Spock and Bones. And the best thing about Star Trek is when you have a well-written episode, it makes you think. This is a story about the Enterprise going to look for a cultural expert that they have sent to a planet, and his name is John Gill, and they cannot find him. And they beam down to this particular planet, which has a sister planet nearby, and they walk into Nazism. Yes. Now, there was a lot of complaints, I understand, at the time of the representation here, and I have a real problem with that. Mm-hmm. Because I think this is a very interesting, thought-provoking episode about what Nazism started as. 
And at the same time, on the other channel, Nazis were being portrayed as buffoons, comic figures, and comic fodder. Which would you prefer? Uh, what do you mean think, by the way Nazism started? Well, this is the impetus, the impetus of the episode. Yes. Is that, I think Steve would agree with me in this particular episode. The thing is that the actual teaching moment in this episode is that ideas are fantastic until yes. people have to get involved. <laughs> and that to uh, Yeah. Well, that to me is is the is the idea of the episode. Yes, yes, I and, I, I, I have issues with that, but you're right. Yes, that's what that's what. The oh no, no, no! no. Tell me all the issues. The basic premise of this episode is is that the idea of nationalism to a point helps bind everybody together. But that idea is a wonderful idea until human beings start getting involved in it. And that's when it all goes to shit. Yeah, but 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 Nazism was never about that. Well, not, not you, you know the, the 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 idea that John Gill thinks is that you can take some of the quote unquote good stuff, right? The 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 um, the the nationalism, all that stuff, and you can take it out of the Nazi ideology. And, yes. and 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 just le- and not leave the brutality. He what he was saying was that the, the efficiency of Nazism yeah. was at the core what he wanted to reproduce. Yes, but, but then at, people got involved. Yeah, but at the, <laughs> the the core of Nazism is anti-Semitism. You you, you can't you, you the efficiency has has nothing to do. It re, if you read Mein Kampf right right from the very beginning. It was. It was. It had nothing to do with Germany, national German nationalism. That was just a way for the Nazis to get into power. Well, right. I would argue. I, I would argue with you. I mean, you're right, of course, Steve. I'm not arguing that point. I'm what I may argue is the subtleties of it. I think that at that particular time, I don't know how old the Protocols of the Elder of Zion was. They, was about, they were about, about fifty years. Me. Maybe a little bit more than that. Maybe, yeah, maybe okay. about 50 years. Is that that was that was source material that was sweeping all over Northern Europe? Sure. Now, for those and who don't United know, States. yeah, well, for those who don't know, that it, it's a Christian document that was written in Russia, I believe, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Um, that you know, this came from, of course, be, before Vatican II. Uh, Catholics uh, would use the term "perfidious Jews." Um, that was taken out in, in, um, in Vatican II. This kind of idea that, that the Jews killed Jesus, uh, that they owned the bank, you know, all this, you know, stuff. I think Hitler, uh, I think Hitler personally latched on, of course, to anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. But I think the actual idea of fascism is to find a, to find a scapegoat that everybody that everybody can agree on uh what yes or or to formulate one yeah or um, to form more or to formulate one absolutely to, to formulate well I'll, one, I'll, right? I'll i'll use this and you can correct me if i'm wrong this is the kind of reader's digest version i always use the communism is about economic purity fascism is about social purity yeah, to a degree. Yeah, I would agree. And <clears throat> that's basically what happens when people get involved. <laughs> yeah, but 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 my point is that what the show seems to try and say is like there were good things in Nazism. And my point there's there's no good things in Nazism. Okay, that's interesting. See, I didn't. I, <clears throat> you know, you know, be, and, and you know, I. I Obviously, I'm not a Nazi, uh, but I'm not Jewish either, right? And and one one of the things that I've always heard when I've heard interviews with Holocaust survivors, uh, people people well-meaning people will say, "Well, did anything good come out of the Holocaust?" And to to a person, they said, "No, nothing. No, nothing has come good, right?" And so there's this idea that we can take good things out of Nazism and just forget about the racial stuff but the racial stuff is so intertwined with nazism 
you can have efficiency without fascism. I mean, you know, that, well, that, yes. that's oh. right. Well, you know, I think that I think that's what John Gill was trying to do. Yes. And and that, and that's his flaw is, you know, right. and I, I, you know, is you can't it's all part and parcel. You can't take it out. Any fascist organ, any fascist organization, any fascist government, whether I mean, it, and I, I would say communists as well, you know, just you know, because uh, Stalin did, did did a similar thing mm-hmm. for different reasons, perhaps, but but a similar thing. But you, any fascist government, the brutality is part of it, right? You think of Pol Pot, think of Mussolini, think mm-hmm. of Franco, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you you you, the, you can't take the brutality out of it because that's a fundamental part of their efficiency. That's how that's how they get their efficiency. Mm-hmm. Right by beating people into submission. Well, or um, or guilt by association. Sure. This is this is the rule of where we're, this is the part where religion comes into it. Sure. Um, because uh, Hitler just created his own religion, which was Nazism. Yeah, to to degree. Yeah, yeah. Fra- Franco Franco uh, relied on the Roman Catholic Church. Mussolini yep. re- re- relied on the Roman Catholic Church. True. Paul Pot, of course, was was uh, a believer of a radical a Buddhist um, a fable called the Ankar. Yeah. Uh, so he he used religion. Never let anybody ever tell you that a communist government is atheist. No, it's not. They just create their own religions. They may they don't like to, they may they don't pretend like competitions. to be. <laughs> Sorry, they may pretend to be, but yeah, no, they they they. Well, look at your own your own uh, example of Russia. Yeah, you know they came up with miracles. You know, Lysenko's biology. You know, four yeah, harvests exactly. a year. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. They just yeah. replace reli- the, the the usual religion. And we must put this the, this way that this uh, that's exactly what Putin is doing right now. Yes. You don't think Putin's a fascist? Well, guess what? He has all the signs of a fascist in that in the fact that Russia is socially pure. Yep. There's no gay people apparently in Russia. Yep. No. It is backed it is backed to the hilt by the Russian Orthodox Church. Yep. And and that is don't never think that he's not a fascist. Anyway, in the episode, we're going to touch on some other stuff about this because it is very thought provoking. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, it is a very thought thought provoking. This particular episode, I mean, some of the stuff they get a little bit too on the nose. You know, the planet that is being, um, as an example of filth, is called Z- Zeon. Yeah, that's a little on the nose, people. Um, uh, everybody from Zayon has a has a slightly slightly Abrahamic name. Yes. Um, so we're a little on the nose here. Now we must also point out, and I think this is relevant to our discussion, is of course Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner practice the Jewish faith. Yes. So they they uh, obviously were on board for all of this. The other thing, and I mentioned it before, is that this is certainly much better than Hogan's Heroes in in relation to the portrayal of Nat- the portrayal of Nazism, Steve. Sure. No. Yeah. And and I watch Hogan's Heroes, and I like Hogan's Heroes. I mean, it's, it's pure it's pure nonsense, right? You know. But but also keep in mind that you know a, a lot of the Nazis in Hogan's Heroes. Are Jewish? No, I, I understand right. that, and they're portrayed um, as buffoons. Yeah, I and understand that, that too, and, that, and that's why that that's why they're they're portrayed as buffoons. Yes, you know, Robert but, Clary, who played LeBeau, was in a concentration camp. Yes. Now, do you think Hogan's Heroes would get on the air today? <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Well, when I say I like it, I like it for what it is, right? Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't pretend to be anything other than nonsense uh so uh so i think that everybody's portrayed in this very very well um it turns out of course that john gill came up with this idea as silly as well as stupid as it was and and that hitler history should have taught him that when people get involved and the example of this is is that he came with an ideology that once his undersecretary or deputy fuhrer as he's referred to here uh, he is uh, portrayed by an actor named Skip Homier, 
We'll see him again, people. And you just wait for that episode. <laughs> um, uh, he is, and he's the one, of course, that always happens with people. And of course, they invoke Lord Acton's axiom, which is, you know, uh, power corrupts absolutely. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, is that the axiom? What, what's the actual well, axiom? Power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely. Absolutely. I always like to say that Lord Acton's um, uh, uh, quote should also include this, uh, that uh, absolute power um, uh, absolute power uh, corrupts absolutely, but it also reveals. Yes. It always reveals what people really were going to do. And yes. I think that this is the example that's set here. This is the example that Hitler set as well. Yes. Is that he, he, you, you find out what they really, really are and what they really, really want to do. Mm-hmm. Gil has been drugged during most of this time when this buildup of hatred towards the Zeons and of course being made as scapegoats. Um, I love this episode so much. Um, I think it's it's one of the best that they did in the original series, just because I think they get everything in the Star Trek world right. Yeah, they get they get a few of the things in the World War II field wrong. Okay, <laughs> like like I mean, and the scene that you talked about, we, we probably should talk about it, is when Kirk and Spock dress up as Nazis. Right, um, and Sp- and Spock looks at, at um, Kirk and, and tells him that he would he would he would make, make a good Nazi, make yeah, a good Nazi. Um, uh, when, when he's dressed in the, the traditional black um, uh, uniform, Kirk says Gestapo. I think yes, he's he's not dressed in a Gestapo uniform, isn't he? No, he's dressed in an SS uniform. An SS, the Gest- yeah, right? The Gestapo was the police force. Yes. Right, the, the, the SS was a secret police. Yeah. Uh, no, they were a paramilitary paramilitary organization. The oh, Gestapo okay. were the the secret police. Oh, okay. Like the, the members of the Gestapo were most of them police officers. Right. Not all, and not all of them were even members of the Nazi Party. Mm-hmm. They were. They were. They were there to follow the law. Made mm-hmm. to make sure the law the law was in order. The 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 SS was a paramilitary organization that, and they ran the concentration camps. They were they they were like the hardcore Nazis. They mm-hmm. were they and and so Himmler, Himmler controlled both of them. He controlled the Gestapo and the SS. But the SS was kind of like the stormtroopers, right? They all of the racial policies and stuff like that. They they enforced the Gestapo just enforced the law. Hmm. Right. I mean, obviously, racist laws as well. But but they they were they were like Lenny from hmm. from Law and Order. Right. right. Th- those were the ki- those were the kinds of people that they had. Not necessarily the hardcore Nazis. Hmm. Um, and early, you know, Himmler had a lot of problem with with. The, there's a lot of infighting, which I, I won't go into because um, you don't need to know between Goring and, and Himmler. Goring originally had had control over the Gestapo, and Himmler managed to get control over it. And Himmler had a lot of problems at the beginning with the Gestapo because they were following the law, right? Um, and so they were right. they weren't necessarily arresting people that Himmler thought they should be arresting because mm-hmm. they did, they didn't they said they didn't bro- break the law eventually they became a little bit more hardcore and as the law the the anti-jewish laws sort of came in um in more enforced then they they started to become the the, the force that we think of but mm-hmm. the, but but the ss and the, the gestapo were two different organizations mm-hmm. um you know and 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 kirk is definitely wearing an SS uniform, that black uniform with the death right. head, that's yeah. we think yeah. of the, yeah. the that's an SS uniform. Um, and they were the hardcore Nazis, right? You know, like, like those, those, you know, whenever there was something um, that really needed to be done and Hitler or Himmler needed sort of like, even during the war, when, the, when they needed like something really terrible and tough done, they sent in the SS, hmm. SS units, because they were, they were rabid Nazis. Right. Well, we should point, well, I've got a question for you just to wind up, uh, Steve. Do you think that the episode finally by its end had condemned John Gill 
No. Or they no. Th- so you think that the no. episode gave him a pass? Yes. I think it gave him a pass that in, in the sense that and, and Kirk sort of talks about that at the end that you know he Gill was misguided. Right. You know, like his intentions were good. Right. But the way he went about it was wrong. That so right. I think they I think they give Gill an out. Here. So you think you think that the episode should have should have said he didn't have good intentions? Yes, or okay. well, not necessarily. It's it's well, tough to about, say. How about, how about wrong intentions? You know, be, be, you know, be, because one of the th- the problem that I have with the ending, uh, you know, is that Kirk says he thought he could harness the good, right? And my point is. There is no good, <laughs> right? right. You, you know, you know what I mean. That there yeah, no, okay. There was, there was no good from birth. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and so they they give him the out because they suggest that there was a possibility that he could have achieved something good, right? If as if you but as you said, people get involved. Right. Yeah. And I, I have no problem with that. Pro- that 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 comment. I mean, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Th- things go wrong when people get involved. Um, well, you're you, you're kind of the one who taught me. Just as a little yeah. th- as an aside, when uh, Steve and I first met, we were talking about um, uh, because I'd always always had a question about um, about you know, t- give me an example where communist communism has worked. And Steve said, you're assuming that there's ever been a communist government in the world, yes. <laughs> which really got me thinking because that is about, an, that's about ideas. Yes. The problem is when people get involved, Yes. you know, I, I was, I, I was only a couple of years ago was the first time I ever found out that Castro told everybody it was a temp job. Yes. He said he was only going to be there for six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's about about people. Now we should mention just to wind up on this, in this particular episode. I did find it strange that there is no mention of the word Holocaust. They no. do use the term "final solution," but it's done in a very vague way. Yes, uh, this to me was a lost opportunity because, uh, of course, 1967, the Holocaust had only been 22 years before. And as we have grown, of course, we have realized a few things about the Holocaust. We have learned more about it. We have also learned that that our society and our culture will never recover from it. Um, I think Steve would agree with, with that statement. Um, and uh, I, I would have liked to. The other thing is, and they were. I, I think this was done on purpose. There was no people of color in this episode whatsoever. No, no. Which I think that was done on purpose. <coughs> I think they wanted to avoid anything about that. But just like Steve and I have been discussing for the last 20 minutes, this episode makes you think. And that yeah. is always good Star Trek. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd put this in my top 10. Okay. But it'd be close. Okay. It'll be close, and for that reason, again, you know, like I said before, this is an episode that I would teach in class if I if if there was a situation because for that very reason, it gives you stuff to talk about, right? Right? It gives you stuff to think think about, you know. We um, we, we should really should mention the scene in the jail, which is hilarious, <laughs> and again, it's not played for comedy; it's played for snark. Yeah, this is where Star Trek does well. Star Trek does not do well with comedy. I've said this before. They do well with snark, and that bit with Spock and Kirk in the in the in the jail cell is fantastic. Yes. Um, Patterns of Force. I would put it. I'm in the six to eight range of my top ten with this particular episode. Okay. Sounds like Steve's about twelve to fourteen, somewhere around there. Yeah, eleven to thirteen, maybe. Okay, eleven to thirteen. Uh, but, uh, it's a, I, it's a must watch, uh, to me. Uh, so that is the first of our open face sandwiches. Steve, thank you so much for joining me. It's been, uh, it's, uh, I have a thing about always learning and, uh, you certainly have taught me this evening. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it as well. Um, now Steve, uh, is the co-host of a podcast. If you're a Mad Men fan. Uh, Steve is uh, the co-host of a show called Sterling Cooper, David and Steve, 
Uh, and uh, they talk all about Mad Men. Now, the, the premise here is is that Dave has seen it many times, and you yeah. have never seen it. You're just kind of watching it ep- episode by episode for yep, the first time. The first, is that correct? First time. Yep, that's it. I have never watched Mad Men. Uh, do you recommend it, Steve? Yes, I do. Okay. If, if uh, you want, if you want something to make you think, mm-hmm. like, like, then, then watch it. Okay, great. Because get... basically, I do what I just did now on that right. show. <laughs> okay, great. And where can people get in touch with you or find the podcast, Steve? Well, you can you can um, find me at Doc Pinko, and you can find the podcast at sterling cooper david steve on it's on itunes whatever wherever you get whatever you get your podcast you can find it fantastic uh you can find uh uh me at oliver rockside on twitter or please join our community on twitter at 78 episodes pod uh you'll find that uh just do a little search and join us over there now next time we have had two requests and so i'm going to go ahead with uh, doing this we had two requests that I reveal the episodes that we're going to review in the upcoming episodes so people can watch them, which is a great honor to me that you would actually want to do that uh, before we talk about them. So thank you for that. So we're going to go ahead with and do that because Doug Slater is joining me next, uh, next episode. Uh, he is also a returning champion. And we are going to be talking about three episodes, so we're going back to our regular format. We are calling it Xenu on Technical Support. We are going to talk about For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, The Apple, and The Return of the Archons. Uh, So that is next episode. Uh, I cannot guarantee that Doug and I will not partake in pizza banter. I can't guarantee that. It may happen. But please join us next time. Until then, nerdos. Toodles. Bye. Bye.